91.3 KBCS, Music and Ideas, listener-supported radio from Bellevue College. KBCS Community Radio, I'm Yuko Kodama. Last month, I caught up with former King County Council member Larry Gossett, a former Seattle chapter Black Panther Party member and one of four activists who joined forces among communities of color to secure social services and property for Seattle community organizations. Also in this interview is Governor Gary Locke. Governor Locke served as the 10th United States ambassador to China. He was the U.S. Secretary of Commerce under the Obama administration, the 21st governor of Washington state, and the first Chinese-American governor in U.S. history. This is part two of a two-part series of excerpts from the interview. The segment yesterday featured their work in the community and navigating policymaking as a person of color. Today's conversation is on what's needed to carry the movement for social equity forward. To both of you, I would like to ask, how can we bring about the structural change that we need for racial equity? And where do we start? And I'd like to start with you, Councilmember Gossett. Um, When we talk about where do we start in terms of uh, racial change, I think I'd like to interject a little something at this time that I think Uh, American leaders and everyday Americans are going to be talking about more in the future. And it derives from a book that I just uh, finished reading. The name of the book is Cast, and it's by Isabel Wilkerson. And she wrote a book uh, earlier, about 12 years ago, called The Warmth of Other Sons, where she talks about the great migration of African-Americans from the South to Northern industrial cities all over the North, East, uh, uh, Central, and West. But she said, we need to be careful talking about just racial differences because caste has also been important in this land. And I think that in the future, to the extent that she might be right, we're going to have to take into consideration the extent to which certain groups in this country, African-Americans, have been treated more like a permanent caste group than a class. Class implies it's just a little easier to change. But if you're treated like you're an an inborn group in the United States, is that because these folks are descendants of African women, they will be uh, considered Black or African in the United States and therefore inferior race. And there's nothing that they can do about being an inferior group in the future. They are here to work for no pay whatsoever. And no matter what they do individually or just as poor people, they will still be treated as an inferior or an unequal group of folks. And to the extent that that has been true, it has been uh, difficult to more fully integrate all folks in, in this country. So if Blacks are seen similar to the so-called untouchables, and, and then right above us are the Native Americans, and right above them are Latinos, right above them are folks of Asian descent, all of whom 
are caricatured by a lot of people, particularly like Donald Trump and the people that support him, as historically inferior to whites. It's no matter what we do, if we're successful, like Governor Locke has been, there's still something uh, wrong with us or me as an elected official because we're Black, Asian, or Latino. So it's got to be something wrong with us. And no matter what our policies are, they're not worth anything. And that's why these folks, given how cast, as it's been explained by Isabel Wilkerson, working in America, it doesn't matter to a core group, a very significant number of uh, whites, that Blacks are independent thinkers, work as hard as anybody else, uh, and ought to be able to move up. And that's why uh, somebody like a Donald Trump can develop this caricature of uh, Obama as the least successful president we ever uh, had, or people would identify Gary Locke, the first Chinese-American governor in the history of the United States, with caricature criticism, either from America, and I thought it was really enlightening that, you know, some of the Chinese government figures, because he was different than they were characterizing him as a, a Uncle Tom. I think we're going to have to take the structural changes and attitudes of Americans into consideration. And in addition to looking at race, class, we got to look at to what extent we're looked at as a permanent, unequal group that is not worthy or deserving of the opportunity to live the American life like our Constitution and many of our amendments uh, suggest that everybody should be treated as equal human beings. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity, Yoko, to explain that. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, Councilmember Gossett, what do you see as a path forward that might help in getting this awareness out? Uh, yeah, I've been really impressed with the multiracial outcry in the tremendous number of people that have participated in demonstrations in all 50 states as a result of the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota on May 25th this year, I am quite hopeful that people from every walk of life, national group, if you want to use caste, every caste element have come together with the national demand that once and for all, we should move more radically, more significantly toward equitable treatment in America and go beyond class, beyond race, and beyond caste. Figuring out a way to build a national movement about this outcry for more democracy, more change, more justice, and starting with the impact that living in this country has had from the very lowest class or caste entities in this country is an excellent start. Like looking at this issue, between the African-American communities and the police is a very good uh, institution to start with because the first police that were established in both the northern and southern parts of the colonies were started in the 
early 1700s, and their primary job was to find and capture runaway slaves. So from the get, the disdain in the definition of Blacks, inferior people, if they run away, if they don't do what we tell them to do, they're somehow criminals. We have to move away from that. I think the movement subsequent to George Floyd provides a profoundly important basis to do that. We just have to build the organizational structures to deal with it more effectively and continue to work. We have a good foundation. And I think an example of how to move toward building multiracial coalitions can continue to be learned from what we did and have done in Seattle from the Franklin City and all the way up to the organizing the Gang of Four, the example that Governor Locke has provided as the head of our county, the head of our state, and then the national representative of all the peoples in the People's Republic of China. Thank you. To feedback off of that, there's these, there's a lot of activity going on in terms of speaking out for social equity, but perhaps people might say that the leadership is not solid. The organizational structures are not solid. Do you agree with that? Well, just looking at CHOP or CHAS that developed after the first couple of weeks of urban rebellion in Seattle, Washington, after George Floyd was killed, it provides examples of what I believe you are talking about. Some people that are not Black, and some of them are Black, uh, got together and started redefining the term. One of the more unfortunate terms that developed around the current movement has been defund police. Had we used the word transform the police, reform the police, it probably would have been easier than the concept of the word defund to define what it is that the kind of changes that we need to give priority to and creating a more humane relationship with the police vis-a-vis the Black and the broader community. And as a result of using defund, you give some ammunition to people like Donald Trump, to many people in the Republican Party, and many people that have been developing justifications for not voting for Biden and going back to voting for Trump because he's the law and order president. What we most need is law and order. If we allow uh, that kind of uh, dynamic to develop, we won't be as successful. But these kind of divisions around new movements always occur. And I just think that we have the experience we can draw from and the kind of leadership and a better following and more diverse following today than we had in the past. And we will be able to overcome. Or as John Lewis said, we can get in some good trouble that benefits the whole nation in the future. We're really capable of doing that by learning from the kinds of things that you're having Gary and I talk about on the radio today. Thank you. Governor Locke, how can we bring about the structural change that we need for racial equality? And where do we start? You know, it's easy to be pessimistic in these days, but also very hopeful, as, as Larry indicated. It's, it's just mm-hmm. amazing to see the outpouring of support and concern and protest, uh, calls for change among all Americans, or so many oh. Americans in every part of the country after the very vivid uh, killing of George Floyd. But why is it that 
during World War II, we had African-Americans serving as Tuskegee Airmen, even though they came from terribly segregated communities, or Japanese-American soldiers who became the most decorated unit in U.S. military history, even though their parents and brothers and uncles and sisters were and aunts were in barbed wire concentration camps. You had uh, Native Americans who came from reservations and just oppression and broken treaty after broken treaty. Why were all these folks fighting for the United States during World War II, despite the troubles in their own homeland and decades and decades of oppression? Well, it's because they believed in the ultimate goodness and the destiny of America and the promise of America. Mm -hmm. They believed in the future of America. And as I said very, very early on, America has never been a perfect country. But unlike other countries, and I've been able to travel the world and I've seen other governments and political systems, we at least have mechanisms for change. We we recently just celebrated the 100th anniversary of the right of women to vote. (laughs) We almost had a, a woman president. I mean, that is so unheard of in other countries where people of color and different ethnic groups within a major country can actually rise, be business leaders and political leaders. We've made mistakes in terms of whether voting for the crime bill in the 90s and and even the Black Caucus supported that in the Congress, supported that. And it was led by President Clinton and, and others. At least we can say that was wrong. We can stand up and say, yeah, I voted wrong or I voted for the Iraq war because I relied on the president and the intelligence agencies and we made a mistake. You don't see that in other countries. That's the good thing about our country. And so I have hope for the future. How do we make the change, though? Because unless there's a dramatic change in the makeup of the Congress and the White House, I think the change has to be local. It's communities. I mean, the way the Congress works, it's nothing really dramatic except for uh, once in a while, whether it's the war on poverty or the uh, Affordable Care Act and, and maybe some environmental stuff here and there. And But things move slowly in the Congress. And so I really think that if we want real change, we have to work on it at a local level. And it starts with our own families and our own communities. It starts with Bellevue College. It starts with individual employers setting an example and spreading out, learning the lessons of collaboration among different ethnic groups and communities of color as epitomized by the Four Amigos or the Gang of Four that Larry was a part of, really learning the lessons. I have to say that... uh, as Larry was talking about the the caste system, there is somewhat of a caste system or there's gonna be a group of people in the United States that will never accept people of color in any prominent positions. They will say it's completely illegitimate. Whether a person of color is a CEO of a corporation or a city council member, or even governor. I mean, when I was governor, there was an assassination plot by a white supremacist group in the state of Washington whose view was that as a person of color, I could not be the legitimate governor of the state of Washington. Wow. There was an FBI informant. They actually were able to document that the leader of this group had cased out the governor's office, had walked through the governor's office and done surveillance of the Capitol grounds. We were very fearful of our lives for that uh, certain period of time. But again, it was that a person of color could not be the legitimate governor of the state of Washington. And that's the type of perpetual, I think, delegitimization that many uh, people of color will face in our country and all across America, which is why we need people at the very, very top. 
speaking against extremism, violence, right. racism. And, and it starts with our kids. I mean, the more that our kids can be exposed to each other and, and accept it. You know, it was the kids that really started the environmental movement and Earth Day and recycling and everything else. Mm-hmm. Many of us adults, including myself, we are products of our upbringing. And I myself am a, you know, have some vestiges of, of privilege and, and white privilege, and uh, even though I'm a person of color, and, and it's hard to undo. And we need to constantly review our history to learn and understand the possible implications and the ramifications and the possible outcomes if some of these movements and thoughts remain unchecked, whether it's studying the Holocaust, to studying histories of racism against black Americans, racism and discrimination against Asian Americans, the Exclusion Act, the alien land law where people of color, primarily Asians, could not own land in America and certainly mm-hmm. along the West Coast. Talk about Exclusion Act, uh, where Chinese could not come into the United States. Now we're seeing Muslims not being able to come into the United States. And so we have to review these historical facts and, and episodes to understand that these things could come back. These things can come back and we have to be very, very vigilant. Forever vigilant. Well, both of you have been involved in high-level institutions here, policymaking at county levels to the federal level. Governor Locke, you're now the Bellevue College interim president. How do we see pushing this forward when they're large, they're bulky, (laughs) they've been around for a long time? And I'd like to hear each of your take on that. And I'll start with Governor Locke. Well, I, I, I... I'd like to take it first because I always like Larry to to finish and and because he's so inspiring and and uh, can give us really good perspective. I think we have to work with all of our institutions first of all to make sure that they are responsive to the people, to the people they are trying to serve, whether it's the state government, whether it's the county government, city government, and certainly a college. We need to understand for what purpose do we exist, and are we carrying out our mission and, and doing it well. You know, part of the problem with bureaucracies and higher education is is certainly a bureaucracy no different than a government, is that oftentimes in bureaucracies, and you even see this in the private sector, somebody made a mistake, and so a new policy is put in place that will try to make sure that mistake never happens again. And sometimes these policies are so restrictive and so overbearing that they stifle innovation, creativity, and discretion because they're trying to err on the safe side. And as a result, we have people that just go through the motions and check off the boxes, and everybody's afraid to be daring and risk-taking and innovative and creative. At the college, first of all, we encourage discussion and debate about what's happening in our society. And hopefully from that robust discussion and education and new perspectives gained and knowledge learned that Our students can be forces for change and improvement and good, whether just in their personal lives, in their job environment, and certainly as a member of society. Well, we as an institution should try to model those very same things too. Self-improvement, change, responsibility. Uh, And uh, so with respect to our, our faculty of color, there are many things that we have to change, that we need to change, and we need to do it quickly. 
if people have been suffering from discrimination, if society has been discriminating and subjecting people to a caste system, we have to improve it and change it as quickly as possible. And that means that uh, we have to do that on our own campus in terms of the treatment and the perceptions and the and the feelings of uh, faculty of color, especially uh, black faculty and staff and students. It's an urgency. We can't expect people just to be patient. They've suffered decades and centuries too long. We've got to push our institution. We've got to think, who are we here to serve? What is our reason for being? And if we really care about improving people's lives and doing it in a socially just and thoughtful, inclusive manner, then we have to have that same urgency. So all institutions need to, to be more nimble, more responsive, and think about who is it that they're really trying to serve and, and help. And uh, that's the framework that, that we at the college uh, certainly have to take, and certainly local governments and all units of government uh, have to have. Thank you, Governor Locke. Um, Councilmember Gossett, uh, how do you see encouraging institutions to shift what I'll just do is build upon my last comments, and I really was enlightened by the final comments of uh, Governor Locke. Referencing the book, A Cast by Isabel Wilkerson, she has a chapter in there where she talks about the fact that in Germany today, when they give history on World War II, they don't try to hide that concentration camps were established all over Germany. They talk about where the concentration camps were and the absolute inhumane and death-bringing usages that were given to these places where humans were burned alive and gassed alive of all ages and that we can never have that happen in our country again. They did not, after 48, allow any statutes to the Nazis or to Hitler to remain standing. And still in their classes today, they do not talk about or allow anything that speaks to there being any legitimacy, honor, or that's the way, that's our heritage being Nazis. They don't allow that kind of talk or they discourage it very significantly. And I'm working with about 18 folks that are all activists, 18 to 30 years old, and we're meeting regularly talking about what's this new world that we want learning from uh, the past. And we're talking about the fact that we can't allow any brothers to talk negatively about we don't want no women running stuff. Uh, when people are hungry, and we should be the first ones to figure out a way that they get adequately fed and, and do it in a respectful and supportive manner. We cannot allow, oh, we were just joking and we we're talking negatively about people being a gay, lesbian, or transgender folks, regardless of their color. They're human beings. They have to be respected as such. And then we have to be examples we're telling these young people in all of these arenas for the people that we bring into our movement, especially if we want to have a different kind of lifestyle, vision, moral, morals, and be able to teach them. We got to live them and we have to do it as we move 
toward building the kind of nation and the kind of political structures that want, the kind of democratic economy, the national health care for everybody, regardless of uh, difference of pay, prison reform. We got to be exemplary now if we want to have this to be sustained after we take over and begin to build uh, the new, more democratic, humane a society that our world desires and absolutely needs. And we got to lastly involve everybody uh, that we possibly can. And when they project negative or reactionary attitudes toward the past, we got to jump on it right away, even for at a party at a dinner table or in the park. We can't allow these bad ways or uh, feelings or attitudes or oppressive behaviors to continue. If we're able to build the new movement like this in the future, I'm confident we can have a much higher level of human interactions in this nation that's similar to what our original forefathers, at least on paper and articulately, said they wanted. A land of the free and the brave where everyone is included in mankind. Thank you. Thank you, both Councilmember Gossett and Governor Locke. You are both a wealth of perspective and experience and are still active today in advocating for social equity. It's an honor to speak with you both. Thank you for your time today. That was former King County Councilmember Larry Gossett. He was formerly a Seattle chapter Black Panther Party member and one of the illustrious Gang of Four activists. Governor Gary Locke, former U.S. Ambassador to China, former U.S. Secretary of Commerce, Governor of Washington State, and current Bellevue College Interim President, was also in the discussion. This interview is part of an elections season partnership with the International Examiner Pan-Asian American Publication at iExaminer.org and Asian Pacific Americans for Civic Empowerment. Stories like this are possible only because of listeners like you. You can subscribe to the KBCS podcast anywhere you pick up your podcasts or visit kbcs.fm to listen to more stories. For more KBCS stories and to support our work with a donation, you can visit kbcs.fm.